0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Last week, because we are now looking at Hebrews chapter 10 and 11, and this series is titled Desiring a Better Country, I felt it was necessary to just touch on the obvious connection to our own desires now for what you might think of as a better nation. But people desire a better country in, in a lot of ways. And while a lot of us desire a better nation, some of us, our, our real desire, the, the place our hope is really fixed, is the desire for uh, a better home, a better home. So when I think about this idea of home for just a moment and what it means to be at home to feel that that you are welcome, that you are in a place that can shelter you, that you find yourself in a place where you can really settle in. The problem for us as human beings is although we desire to, to be at home because of what we are, because of our nature, oftentimes we feel unsettled. we don't feel, welcome, we don't feel at home. And this is true in a lot of ways in our relationship even to God. You think about the way that you relate to God, it would be nice if we could all come together in the house of the Lord and think we've got like a a tight bond with Him. We're always together, always thinking the same thoughts, always desiring the same things. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know it's not always that way. Right? Because of our nature, because of our sinfulness, oftentimes we are distant from God. Right? We all started off at a great distance from Him. And even now, we can feel that distance between God and ourselves. And Even when we don't feel that distance, even though we feel His presence, sometimes we feel doubtful. We feel perhaps we can't rely on the things that he's said to us. And so we struggle with them. Sometimes we're not distant, we're not even doubtful, and yet we find ourselves feeling detached, not really at peace, not really uh, active in the presence of God. And if we can feel distant and doubtful and detached from God, then certainly we can feel all of those things in relation to the church as well. I mean, the church which we talk about as our home, we, we say, oh, this is my church home. And yet, oftentimes, at church, we don't feel at home. We feel distant. We feel doubtful. We feel detached from the people around us. And we even feel that way sometimes about where we live. Some of you, I know, are, are living in your dream house, and your only desire is to keep on living there. But a lot of us, that is not true right how many of us are are living in a place where we're just marking the days so we can move on the dream is is out in the future right the place we're at now is not where we want to end up we don't want to get stuck where we are now right we live here but we're not at home here like this this apartment this house this neighborhood these schools all of this it's it's fine for now maybe but it's not where I intend to be forever. We have a sense of unsettledness, sense that we're at home and yet somehow not at home. And all of us, to some extent or another, feel this way, at odds, alienated, even from home. To really feel at home somewhere, I mean, a few things have to be true. Right? You think about uh, even people who are content where they live. I'm happy. I'm happy where we've ended up. Uh, when we come home after a long journey, I'm happy to be at home. And yet I find myself walking through the neighborhood and noticing there are other houses on the market. I have to get home and look them up and see what the pictures look like inside, what they're listed for, that sort of thing. Because what if I find a better place to live? What if I want to change it up? You know, what if I want to do that? So even, even though I'm content, I'm looking. My eyes are opened for something better. And to really feel at home, to really feel settled, you have to feel welcome. or right? You have to feel like the door is open to you. It's hard to feel at home at a place where the door is shut. Right? You have to feel welcome before you can move in. And you have to feel more than welcome. You have to, to move in and feel like the place is going to stand, like that roof isn't going to collapse on top of you. right? The, the structure is going to hold so that you can actually unpack, actually move your stuff in. And also, you need to feel that this is a place where you can settle. Because it's not enough just to move in and unpack. You also, as I've been told time and again, you need to be able to nest. (laughs) You need to be able to to leave your stuff out and feel comfortable in the place where you're at. And until you can do those things, it's not really home. Until you feel welcome, until you feel like the the roof is going to hold up, until you feel like you can nest, that's not home. All of those things have to be true before we can really settle in. And if that's true for where we live, it's also true for where we live our Christian lives, for the church. But we need all of those things when it comes to the church. We need to feel like we can move in and unpack and even nest in the church. We need to feel welcome. We need to feel like the structure will hold. We need to feel like this is a place that we can settle in. So as we look at our text in Hebrews 10, the the question to think about is, is this. Where is your home? Where is your home? And the answer that God is giving us in the text is, this is your home. This is your home. The church is your home. So let's take a look at our text. Hebrews 10, begin in verse 19. And read through verse 25. It's just one paragraph in the translation. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean we're encouraged to do. Draw near, the text says. Hold fast and consider. Draw near, hold fast, and consider. Before we get into those things, though, I want you to see the 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 preface, the introductory words. Because before we feel welcome in the house, we need to know that this house has a solid foundation. And the author lays a foundation for us here. In Hebrews 10, what's happening is all of the work that we've done from Hebrews 1.1 to get here, all of it is coming together. In other words, a case has been made, a foundation has been laid, and now that that foundation is there, the author is going to make some application. He's going to call us to action. Before he does that, though, he reiterates the foundation. That's what we see in these opening verses. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, because of those things, we should do this. We should draw near. We should hold fast. We should consider. But let's pause and look at the because of these things. Like, what are these things? There's two things that he's pointing us to. It's the role of Christ, the work of Christ, in two respects. First of all, it's the fact that Christ is our sacrifice. That Christ has offered himself up as a sacrificial atonement for our sins. And because of that work that he's done, we can now have access to God that we couldn't have before. The way that it's described, uh, These holy places, we can now enter them by the blood of Jesus. The shed blood of Jesus, which is a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Remember, we're talking priestly office here. We're talking priestly duties. We already saw in Hebrews 8 the way the temple was organized and the fact that the Holy of Holies was separated from everything else by a veil, by a curtain. That veil or curtain, as we went back and looked at the gospel accounts. Was was torn in half when Christ died, and now we're being told that there's a, a a sense in which the body of Christ, broken for us, is the veil torn, giving us access to the holy places. Through the brokenness of His body, we now can enter these holy places. So because of Christ's sacrifice. The way has been opened to us. The door has been opened. We're welcome. There's another aspect of Christ's work, though, that we're told to remember. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, it's not just that Jesus, by his sacrifice, has opened the way into the house. It's that Jesus, by his nature as our priest, the one who sits at the right hand of God, making intercession for us, Constantly, we have a priest who rules over the house, who presides over the house. The master of the house is the one who has opened the way for us. And that's the foundation. Because of that, we can draw near, we can hold fast, and we can consider. Now, pause for a moment and and think about this. The work that he describes of Jesus, that's all objective work. Right? The difference between objective and subjective right when you think subjectively we think of ourselves as the subject and we consider things from our perspective but like the way I see things might be different from the way you see them I experience things one way you experience them another way that's subjectivity but what's being talked about here is not subjectivity what's being talked about is something that happened outside of ourselves something real that happened in the world and because of that real, Concrete event, that actual tangible work of Christ, certain things are true for us objectively. And in our subjectivity, in our, our perspective, in our hearts, we can look outside of ourselves to that objective work of Christ and feel that welcome and feel the fact that the house we're invited to enter into is a house over which Jesus Himself presides. So with that foundation laid, we're told to draw near. We should draw near to him in faith. Be welcome to enter into his house. This idea of drawing near is one that we've seen already in the book of Hebrews. It's, It's a constant refrain. So if you look back in Hebrews 4, in Hebrews 4 we read these words, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Hebrews 7, verses 18 and 19, we heard these words. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And again, in Hebrews 7, verses 23 through 25, we read these words. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So throughout the text, we're being encouraged to draw near to God, to draw near in faith. Don't keep your distance. The way has been opened and you ought to come close to him. You ought to enter into his presence and do it boldly. Do it in a way that no one before Christ was ever able to do. That's what we're invited to do. And when we draw near, it's when we draw near that we are saved. Christ's sacrifice and his priesthood make it possible for us to draw near and be saved. Draw near and find mercy. These are the things we find at the foot of the cross. These are the things we find when we draw near to the throne of grace, as the author of Hebrews calls it. We don't need to keep our distance. We ought to come to Him. We ought to draw near. When we draw near, we draw near in a certain way. When you look back at our text again. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So let us draw near in faith with a true heart. With a true heart. In other words, when we draw near to God, let us draw near in sincerity. Let us draw near in sincerity. Approach Him with an open heart. Approach Him with a true heart and love. We already saw in our lectionary reading that, that mere piety is not what God wants from us. Going through the motions, saying the right words, offering the right sacrifices, that's not what God wants. Not only does He not want it, but it's abhorrent to Him. When you read a text like we read in Isaiah, it seems not only does God is God not like, like optimally pleased when we worship Him without our hearts in it. But it's abhorrent to Him. To, to have His worship. To have the sacrifice perverted in that way. Cheapened in that way. To be offered in name only. Just go through the motions as a thing that God abhors. The author of Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes 5.1 says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near. To listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know what they are doing evil they do not know that they are doing evil don't offer the sacrifice of fools don't draw near to the presence of god without sincerity don't just go through the motions in other words don't just come because it's what you do on a sunday morning but draw near to him with a true heart a true heart means sincerity. Isaiah 29, Isaiah talks about people who draw near with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's not the kind of worship that God desires. It's not what He wants from us. We should come to Him with a true heart. We should come to Him cleansed inside and out, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, obviously, when we make the reference to bodies washed with pure water, you have something in mind. You think of the sacrament of baptism. Right? The body is washed in water, and and that sacramental action, that outward action, reflects an inward reality. That You see the two things here connected. It's not enough for the body merely to be outwardly washed, but instead there must be a cleansing within, a cleansing on the inside. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. We draw near to Him, we turn our back on our sin. When we draw near to Him with true hearts and sincerity, we turn our back on everything else and the things that keep us distant from Him. And this is what we're called to do, to draw near. The door stands open, we should draw near to Him. We should not only draw near to Him, but we should hold fast. We draw near in faith, but we hold fast to hope. So faith, hope. Having hope is important. We're called to have hope, as we said last week, in good things to come. To hold fast to that hope, again, is something we're encouraged to do throughout the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 3, verse 6 We read, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Then in chapter 4, verse 14, we read, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Then in chapter 6, starting in verse 17. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So if drawing near is important, so is holding fast. We're not meant to to be distant from God, but we're also meant in his presence to hold on tightly to the hope that we have. Now the hope that we have is is a specific thing. The author of Hebrews isn't saying, hold fast to hopefulness. It's good to be optimistic. Having an optimistic spirit will help you out in life. You need to be one of those people who's always looking for the silver lining. Hold fast to hope. That's not what he means at all. When he talks about hope, he always has a specific hope in mind. He doesn't mean just the emotion of of optimism. The hope he has in mind is very specific. It is the hope that the promise of salvation that God has made to us in the covenant of grace will be fulfilled. So the hope is eschatological. In other words, it's a hope that is pointed towards the future. It is pointed towards the end of history. And the hope that we should hold fast to is the hope that if we are in Christ, then on the last day He will raise us up again. That we will have eternal life with Him. That is the hope that we're called to hold fast to. Hold fast to that confession of faith. That is the promise that we should not let go of. So holding fast, that's about endurance. If drawing near suggests conversion, like drawing near to God is, is repenting of our sins and, and entering into His presence, then holding fast is, is persevering in faith. It is enduring. It is standing, as Paul says in Hebrews. That idea of holding fast, you might Think of it as being synonymous with faithfulness. To hold fast is to be faithful. So it's no accident that the first time that that you come across this idea of holding fast in Scripture is at the very beginning in the book of Genesis, where you read these words in Genesis 2 Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So the very first expression of holding fast isn't between God and humanity. It's between husband and wife. It's talking about that kind of fidelity. And that kind of fidelity becomes a model for us for understanding the faithfulness of God to us and our faithfulness to God as well. So that in Deuteronomy, when the idea of holding fast comes back, We read these words, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. Like all of those things that you should do. Keep His commandments. Serve Him. And then finally it's all summarized in this idea of faithfulness. You should serve Him faithfully. You should keep His commandments faithfully. You should walk after Him faithfully. That's what it means to hold fast. To be faithful. The book of Proverbs talks about this in regard to wisdom. Right, We're called to wisdom throughout the Old Testament. The pursuit of wisdom is the pursuit of Christ. And Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians that Christ has made wisdom for us from God. So when you read your Old Testament, you're told to pursue wisdom. You should think of that pursuit of wisdom as the pursuit of Christ. What we're told in Proverbs is that, that Wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast are called blessed. To be faithful to what God has called us to. To be faithful to endure. Faithfulness is a practice that we're called to. To be faithful to wisdom. To be faithful to the good. In Romans, Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. 1 Corinthians, he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Faithfulness to the word. So we're meant to hold fast. And to hold fast is to be faithful. So when you look at verse 23, which says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We're being told, essentially, be faithful to him because he is faithful to you. And if you are a person who is by nature very uh, faithful, perhaps that's encouraging to you. But most of us aren't. Most of us struggle with fidelity, with faithfulness to the things that we believe, to the good that we see. We know what's wise, but we don't do it. We know what's good, but we don't do it. We hear what the word proclaims, but we don't live it. We struggle to be faithful. So being reminded of the faithfulness of God is a comfort on one hand, but it also is sort of a mortification on the other, because it reminds me of my own unfaithfulness. But I don't think it's meant to. I think that here, the words that the author writes are meant to encourage us. They're they're meant to speak to us about how to be faithful. Be faithful because he is faithful. If you think about your own unfaithfulness, why you struggle to do what's right, why you struggle to live by the principles that you actually espouse, and what is it that drives us to be unfaithful? Why do we go against the thing that that we know to be right? It's because it's our nature, because we're sinful by nature, we tell ourselves. That's true, but that's not enough of an explanation. right? In, In a particular instance, we make a particular choice to do the thing we know we shouldn't do. And yes, we are sinful by nature, but that's not all there is to it. What is it that drives our faithlessness? Is it a kind of a fear, an insecurity maybe, that what we have isn't enough? That we won't get all that we want out of what we've got, and so we look for what we want elsewhere? That maybe the place we find ourselves isn't able to to give us everything that we desire. we're afraid that where life has placed us, it's not going to be good enough, and so we look elsewhere, whether we should or not. If that's true, if behind our unfaithfulness is this fear that what we have won't be enough, that it won't deliver on the deep desires that we have, then I think assuring us of the faithfulness of God is really saying something. It's speaking to those fears. Maybe you are afraid that you won't get everything that you want. That all your desires will not be met. That there is a world out there that you're missing that you could be experiencing. What you're being told is, no, God is faithful. God will deliver everything that He's promised. God knows your purpose. He knows what you're made for. He knows better than you do what desires ought to be fulfilled. We seek our own happiness and paradoxically we destroy it. Uh, Psychologist Barry Schwartz said the pursuit of happiness is a recipe for disaster. I think it's true. Oftentimes, the worst decisions we make in life are the decisions that we make to secure our happiness because we weren't sure, we weren't confident that the God who had promised us all things was really faithful. So we're being told, hold fast, endure, persevere because the thing that you're holding on to is real, it is objective, it will keep its promises. It will. It's reliable. In other words, this house will stand. Be faithful, for He is faithful. It's an easy thing to say. I know it's a hard thing to live. But if we understand that the fear that drives our unfaithfulness is the very thing that confidence in Him banishes, he gives us the strength to hold fast to our hope. So we should draw near in faith. We should hold fast in hope. And Finally, we should consider how to stir up love. Consider how to stir up love. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Right? If we've drawn near, we've moved into the house. If we have held fast, we've unpacked, we've made this our home, we have confidence in it. And finally, we've got a nest. Right? We've got to make this truly our home. And when you live in a home, you have chores to do. Right? When you're part of the household, you have work to do in, in keeping up the household. And the work that he has for us to do is to stir up love. To stir up love. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is what our purpose is. You wonder, like, like, what is the road of discipleship meant to look like for me? This is the answer. To stir one another up to love and good works. That's what we're here for. When we gather together Sunday, we come into the presence of God to worship Him. Towards one another, we have a duty to stir up, stir things up, right? To stir up love, stir up a desire to do what is good. This is the, the responsibility that God has given us toward one another. Now to do that, to fulfill that task, we've got to be present in the house. Right? Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So if you're going to stir people up to love and good works, you have to be there to do this stirring. Now, we live in a consumer culture. Increasingly, we think of things in terms of dollars and cents. And so it's not unusual for you to hear people talk about the idea of voting with your dollars. If an idea is good or an idea is bad, it will succeed or fail based on whether or not people support it financially. They will vote with their dollars, and that vote will determine whether the idea was good or not. Now, I want to suggest to you that there's something before that. We're so focused on on the commercial side of things that we miss, there's something even more basic than that, and that's presence. We don't just vote with our dollars, we vote with our presence. That we show what we love by showing up. Now, I mean, all of us know that in comparison to Christians of the past, we are woefully lax when it comes to this, right? I, I think even of, of my own upbringing, uh, I was raised in a kind of old-fashioned church environment and we went to church on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and occasionally other nights as well, and you still felt like you weren't doing it enough because it was a very sort of works-oriented thing. And, and we don't have that. And, and I'm not going to say that's entirely a bad thing. Right? I don't want people at Grace to feel like you've got to tick off the box and, and and that we're here with the attendance chart, saying who was here this Sunday, that sort of thing. That's certainly not the, the spirit of, of our community. And yet, and we do have to take seriously this idea that, that the author of Hebrews says to us, we shouldn't neglect the gathering together of one another, this this meeting together. and And in his own day, it is being neglected. Like he sees this as a problem. Like Christians are meant to gather together. They're meant to be in community, which means to be physically present with one another. And they're not doing it. They're neglecting it. Don't be like those people. Don't neglect that gathering together. Be there. And I don't think that he's saying this because he's concerned about attendance numbers. It's not that there's a crisis in the the early church where the roles aren't looking as good as they need to, and the church needs to report to its superiors that things are going well. It's not that at all. I think the concern is that this neglect is a sign of of deeper things. In the same way that we can see a connection between an outward washing and an inward washing, here you can see... A connection between outward presence and inward presence. I think the fear is that when we neglect the meeting of one another, there are other things being neglected as well. If we're not coming together and considering how to stir one another up to love and good works, it may be because we're not drawing near to God in faith. It may be because we're not holding fast in hope. There are deeper problems And this neglect is an expression of them. When we neglect the body of Christ, we become distant again from Him. We become doubtful again in a way that we weren't. Because we need to be together. We need the household of faith in order to be encouraged. But of course, it's not enough just to be present. It's not enough just to be present let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works by encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near by encouraging one another right so show up yes but also encourage like be involved in the lives of the people that that God has brought into this household be connected to them so that you can encourage them with your presence with your stirring up, with your own works, by the example that you set. All of these things stir us towards love and good works. We have to be more than present. We have to be active in encouragement. And When we don't encourage one another, we become detached. Not really connected in the way that we ought to be. Not really caring. Not really carrying the burdens of one another in the way that we're meant to. So this is what it's all for. This is what it's all about. The work of Christ. That great sacrifice that he made on the cross. The work of Christ as our high priest, making intercession for us at the right hand of God the Father. What it's all for is to make it possible for us to draw near in faith, to hold fast to hope and to consider how to stir up love in one another. This is why He did what He did so that we could be near Him, enjoy that eternal life, that we could endure in our our trust and our hope in His promises and we could come together and encourage one another. That's what it means to be at home in the church. That's what it means to make this church your home. You are welcome. The roof isn't going to cave in. This is a place you can nest. This is a place you have a role to fulfill, to encourage others. This is a place that can be your home. At grace, you can be at home, but honestly... Grace, you're more than at home. You are the home. We've seen already the point of the church is not to create a place where we feel at home. The point of the church is literally to create a dwelling place for God. The church is a dwelling place, is a home for the God of the universe. We aren't just at home at church. We are the home. We are the home of God on earth. That's what this is all about. And think about this. All of the things that the author of Hebrews encourages us to do, to draw near, to hold fast, to consider, these are things not only that we're called to, but these are things that we deeply desire from God. We long for Him to draw near to us. We long for Him to hold fast to us even when we're not holding fast to Him. And we long for Him to stir up love within us. He's not just making us feel at home. He is making us into a home where we can become all that we were created to be in Christ. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.